Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome to another edition of Feminist Movie. And then whatever day you're listening to, I guess. Technically, this is being released (laughs) on a Wednesday, so it's no longer Feminist Movie Friday. But you don't also, you may not be listening on a Wednesday. Who knows, right? It's true. We have... We have no control over this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can insert whatever day of the week uh, that you're listening to it, and that that's perfectly fine. Yes. And we talked about this on our last movie, and we wanted to come back and make sure that we do a viewing and have a conversation. But we are talking about the amazing documentary, Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. But before we start, Annie, I do need to ask, did you do camps as a kid? Did you go to like these little summer camps? Funny you should ask that, because I just had a conversation with my friends about how there's like very jokingly, camp kids and non-camp kids. Um, I did not do it. I, as as I have said today, the reasons might be different. I do not sleep well around other people. <laughs> that sounded like a nightmare to me. I did like the idea of like learning how to tie knots or shoot bow and arrows or whatever. But I feel like a lot of movies about camp that I watched as a kid did not make it seem like an experience I would enjoy. It sounded like there was going to be a lot of pranks and I was going to be terrified and possibly scarred for life. (laughs) Oh, no. I think it's Mm -hmm. important to know what kind of camp you go to. Uh, I will say that I did go to a couple of church camps and it was very Uh, rare that I went because they were expensive. But I also thought, was one of those that thought camp was kind of not useless, but just like, why? Why would I do this? Um, why would mm-hmm. I go away into a strange place and pay all this money uh, to do things like eat the food that I don't like, being in the woods, <laughs> getting eaten up by bugs, like all of these things. But I really like the ones that I were a- was able to do things. I went to a church camp that went and built homes throughout the mm-hmm. towns, underprivileged areas. I loved that. That part of it was so much fun. And I built a lot of friendships based on it. I did 
I guess I went to several because after I went to one of them, I went to several because I love the aspect of going to build and do things all day long and enjoy those times. Of course, the first one was amazing, so I wanted to relive that one over and over and over again. That didn't happen, but I had Mm -hmm. some really good experiences. But I wouldn't say that it was my cup of tea. I like camping to a certain degree, but yeah, I would always be exhausted when I left. Yeah. But but like I said, I did build some bonds and I'm really excited about this uh, documentary because that's kind of where we see uh, this type of camp going. But uh, yeah, so we are talking about the Sundance award-winning slash Oscar-nominated documentary Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, which was released in 2020, directed by Nicole Newham and James Lebrecht, who was a camper himself at what we are calling it Crip Camp or Crip Janade. Um, and it was also executive produced by the Obamas, Michelle and mm-hmm. uh, Barack. <laughs> it was. It was. And we mentioned this not only in a recent um, Feminist Movie Friday, I think also in our recent book club, but in our ADA, our mm-hmm. breakdown on the ADA, we talked about coming back to discuss this movie. Um, it's on Netflix is streaming. If you haven't seen it, want to watch it, not currently a sponsor, but just letting you know. <laughs> uh, the documentary follows Lebrecht, Judith Human, Denise Sher Jacobson, Nancy Rosenblum, Nancy D'Angelo, Anna Cupolo Freeman, Ellie Abrashkin, Jean Malafronte, Steve Hoffman, Michael Tannenbaum, Al Levy, and others who attended as campers at Camp Janade, a camp led by Larry Allison, who was the camp director. We also got to meet staffers like Lionel Joe Woodyard, Joseph O'Connor, and people who are on site to document the film with the People's Video Theater like Howard Gustat, um, who was able to get footage of the times and discussion throughout the camp. So that was really cool, actually. Right. To see this I footage. honestly, the first thing I thought was like, what an amazing thing that they were able to get this on film and have such an open, honest conversation and was able to get that and restore that and be able to show that to others. Because it was a phenomenal idea and you don't see that. You know, we've talked about this many times when we think of historical figures and historical events that we don't get to see or have actual proof of what happened there. And to have like a first-person contact to see what is happening and what has happened is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And it was very, like a moment in time captured. Because I was like, this is 70s. Oh, I feel it. Like, I love seeing them in their prime and yes. really feeling themselves and exploring that. And I'm yes. like, I wonder how they turned out as adults. Yes. <laughs> they still follow with that. Yes. And we got to see some, some yeah, answers some that. to that question. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the film was 15 years in the making with campgoer Lebrecht, um, who has Spina Bifida, as a director and narrator throughout the documentary. And yes, it was premiered at the 2020 Sundance Festival. Camp Jeanette was founded in 1952 in the Catskills and was shut down in 1977. And this is where a majority of it takes place or where a lot of like the blossoming of this activism that we see. Right. And I think it's partially because a Lebrecht who came in later is the one that sets the tone of how uh, he got to be a part of that and seeing that as well. And then if I am correct, I don't know what is happening with Kim Jeanette right now, but there is a lot of conversation about things with Crip Camp and how that's kind of 
blossomed a new movement in 2020 as well. So it's good to see how it kind of picks back up. But the documentary, as uh, we are discussing, shows the impact of Camp Jeanette and the campers who can escape the world and go to their personal, quote, Woodstock, as one of the campers say. There, the campers were able to live as they wanted, hooking up with some of the other campers, maybe for the first time, getting girlfriends, getting boyfriends, having all Mm -hmm. this new romance, playing and truly competing with each other. Uh, There was a line when they talked about for the first time, not only were they picked to be on their team, you had to. And if you got out, you got out. This is this is not about pity. This is about good, friendly competition, being treated as one of the teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to see uh, them making their own decisions, but also get access to actual help uh, from people, not just being left, and being able to speak about the issues from being treated differently by the outside world uh, or by their parents and or disciplined differently or even completely um, having to be reliant on their parents and therefore having to act differently than other teenage kids, uh, trying to obtain autonomy and just being able to live their lives. And the discussions they had poured out in the real world, of course, were kind of jumping over a lot of the things, the personal connections and just the love that happens at the camp. And we don't want to do that, but you really should go and watch it because it's a deep account of who they are as an individual and being able to sit and discuss uh, what they feel like they needed and how they're often shut down. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this later in the themes uh, because we think it's really important. But it is really just eye-opening to have them being able to speak up for themselves to truly air out the frustrations and to be able to do it with people who understand them. As Lebrecht talked about how in his hometown or at his school, he's the only one uh, with a disability who was disabled in the friend group. He has a great friend group, but then coming back uh, and realizing, oh, I do have these concerns or I do have this uh, moment of trying to figure myself out and angst and anger and trying to pretend uh you know, that it doesn't exist on this level and or being uh, isolated because of it. He talks about that and, and again, talks about his own family and his relationship with his mom. You see that uh, when we talk about the layer of hierarchy when it comes to disabilities and types of disabilities and then breaking that down uh, in this conversation. So it was a really beautiful time. Again, they're having a democracy. We see a young Judith Human who who takes on the net as a leader, but trying to do it democratically to giving everybody a voice, whether it's about food, whether it's about, you know, sleeping, like all of these things. It's a beautiful thing to see as you get to uh, watch them in the moment of the camps. It was nice. And also the crabs incident. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go watch it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Cause that's absolutely. Quite, it's like just such a realistic hit. It's, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, like I said, the discussion had, does pour out into the real world as Judith Human and so many from the camp continue in taking their discussions into action. Human's own lawsuit against the New York Board of Education was highlighted as part of the catalyst in the disability movement and political protests, which you see later on in the film uh, as they continue to build up to uh, being able to advocate for themselves. Right. And um, as we did discuss in our uh, ADA episode, the movement was heated with sit-ins, protests, and political debates and negotiations. 
Um, the documentary follows different approaches in the disability activists, including the 504 sit-in in San Diego in 1977, which spread to Washington, D.C. to pressure the then-administration to define federal guidelines around the Discrimination Act um, and to push for the civil rights of all disabled people. And it was during this time that supporters from other movements, such as the Black Panthers, came in droves to not only show support, but also provided items such as meals and services for those protesting. Right. It was really interesting to watch the different uh, people and organizations that would reach out and making sure that they were able to support them. As in fact, during that time, one activist asked uh, members of the Black Panthers, why are you doing this? And they're like, we see you. We know what it's like to be here and we have to fight for it with each other. This is what we're about. Mm -hmm. And I love that. So the documentary continued following individuals as they were going through their own private journeys, such as uh, Denise Shearer Jacobson, who talked about her life as a disability educator and as a specialist in human sexuality, which she talks about how she got there, which was pretty much what we've talked about before, how oftentimes people with disabilities are dismissed uh, when it comes to sexuality and dis disregarded completely and seen as completely asexual. And I'm saying that in the literal definition, not necessarily a sexuality definition, but that's one of the things that they state. Um, and she kind of pushed through. She was like, nah. Now I need to get mine. I'm going to get mine. Um, and she talked about her experience of actually being pregnant, but because the doctors did not see her as a sexual being or someone who could be sexual, they dismissed that altogether. And that yeah. really pushed her forward uh, into this profession and just being an activist uh, for disabled communities. Um, and she talked about how she pushed to defy expectations when so many underestimated her, uh, including being in a relationship and, and growing with her family and being a professional who made it out into the world um, and really became an icon in education, especially within the disabled community as well as uh, the education community. So the documentary continues as Human and her organization, Disabled in Action, uh, continued their fight, including the Capitol Crawl in the 90s which was, of course, we talked about this earlier, a demonstration of inaccessibility and no access for those with disabilities, uh, which made a huge impact because we still talk about it today. Yes. And later we see a reunion with several of the old campgoers with Human, Lebrecht, Jacobson, and a few others at the old campsite reminiscing about the past. And it was a very powerful right. scene to see their them reuniting and reminiscing about the people they've lost and the people who right. are still there and why it was so important, this camp. Right. One of the campgoers' uh, children came through to celebrate mm -hmm. uh, the camp as well. And it was a heartwarming moment where she got to see where some of the uh, defying moments for her father was there in that area. So it was a, a beautiful ending but of, of course, with that, throughout the movie, you see that as much as they do progress, they do feel like they're being pushed back in some of the progress. And as we're talking about today, we know that's still a big issue. As many things that have happened, there have been setbacks. As many good things have happened with the ADA, there's a lot of things that are problematic within the ADA, and we need to talk about that as well and who it applies to, who gets access. And honestly, that some of the conversations they were having with um, them just venting and airing out the issues that they dealt with in everyday life haven't gone away, um, unfortunately, but they definitely did a lot to make sure to bring some awareness and some step forward. But yeah, if you haven't seen this documentary, you should definitely check it out. 
rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. We did want to go on with some themes of the documentary because I think it's really important that we highlight and talk about how they have impacted and this movement impacted all of society and all of us as a community and just understanding we need to keep pushing for human rights. Um, and one of the big themes is, of course, the history of uh, those with disabilities, the rights of disabilities, civil rights within disability uh, communities, as well as just being able to be heard. Um, and I thought it was really good how they actually just backtracked and talked about it from almost beginning to end, including some of the horrific things, um, such as that we're talking about the uh, Willowbrook Institute and how horrible that discovery was. And it really kind of opened up, uh, I guess, the public to see how horrific some of the people with disabilities were being treated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a great, vulnerable, personal look at uh, the progress that the disability movement has had and how hard they've had to fight. And a lot of it, watching it, felt so frustrating because what they were saying just made sense. I'm like, of course, like you should have right. access to uh, being able to live by yourself, being able to access public transportation, being able to get into public buildings, like all of these right. things that they were having to fight so hard. And that, you know, the camp, it was so 
kind of heartbreaking, but also heartwarming to hear right. them talk about how much they loved that camp because they would go and it was like the first time they just felt like they didn't have to fit into society's rules or like make people feel comfortable, that they could just right. be themselves and talk to other people. And that's why it was so important to them and it was so life-changing. Yeah. And I think an experience like that clearly carried through into right. this movement because... It was like a, a glimpse of, well, no, we should have had this <laughs> Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we already talked about the ableist idea of dismissing uh, those with disabilities, thinking that they're not able to think for themselves or do for themselves, so therefore they're lacking and shouldn't have an opinion, um, which I think human does an amazing job in making sure at that camp, she was like, no, you will have a part in this and you will have a voice in this and we will allow you to speak and have a voice here. And I love that. And what she felt just rightly so, should be everywhere, should be outside of just the safe space of Camp Jeanette. Um, But yeah, one of the things they talked about was uh, the fact that the ADA had not passed at that point in time and there was no anti-discrimination laws uh, in in place for those with disabilities. And when they went into town uh, being denied at places because they made people uncomfortable, they made customers uncomfortable. And that in itself was such a statement. Of course, uh, this was one of the counselors uh, who was an African-American man who had come out of Alabama to hang out, Jay Woodyard, I believe. And he was talking about, you know, and at that point in time, I understood because we knew we had to be in our place and not to make people uncomfortable because if we didn't, they could be dangerous for us as well. And he was talking in comparison about how important seeing this level was and how, yes, it was similar to each other. And we we had so much to push forward and trying to get beyond just existing and existing quietly or disappearing in the corner. Uh, and I thought that was impactful. But yeah, one of the things that we talked about with the personal history is just the basic human rights, just being able to exist uh, wherever and and not being told you shouldn't be here because you make this awkward or you make me feel some sort of way. Um, and at one point in time when they were talking about the 504 uh, protest, they were, she was talking about the fact, uh, one of the protesters was talking about the fact, you know, this was really uncomfortable and people don't want to see us. And honestly, when it comes down to it, She quotes as saying, the world always wants us dead. Disabled people know that every day of our lives, we live that reality. So there's always going to be, am I going to survive? Am I going to push back? Or am I going to fight to be here? Just talking about the fact that, yeah, honestly, during that time, society had this whole don't look, don't tell, don't see, don't, you know, don't hear type of conversation, which is why the institutions like Willowbrook existed uh, to just push them aside and be ignored, which is so uh, cruel. And she was talking about that fact, like, you know, it was one of those things, whether it's going to make us angry or is it going to make us fight? And talking about the fact that, yeah, we're going to fight and you're going to see that we exist. And when you ignore us, yes, death happens. Things that you don't want to see or think about happens. But it's going to be there. And yeah, we're not disappearing, uh, which I thought was an important conversation that they were having, that they were like, we're here. Um, and you see the interviews throughout their times. And I thought that was interesting. And of course, another with the history of it is uh, during the camp, what impacted something that was like, wow, was talking about the right to privacy, which I know we take, I take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many conversations that felt like a gift to see. Right. Not only because I was like, oh, wow, they got, they still have this footage from, you know, this time period, but just being so open and vulnerable. And uh, 
in the face of real callousness from, like, government officials, especially towards the end, where they're just like, it's going to cost too much, no way, right. uh, to give you your basic rights. No. Right. But yeah, it's just the... They discussed all of these ideas and concerns and things that they had to deal with since childhood around their lives and privacy, around having to depend on others when that didn't have to be the case, but like Mm -hmm. particularly their parents perhaps, and just their lives kind of being up for the judgment from everybody. Like everybody being like, oh, you must be sick. Oh, there must be something wrong with you. Right. I I don't want to be involved because you must be sick, which is wrong and gross. Right. Well, yeah. And also just like as you were talking about, you know, having to depend on everyone else. They were talking about the fact that, I, you know, at one point, um, one of the campers had to depend on someone else to translate for her. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, that person who translates was like, I feel like this is what she's trying to say. And and what we're talking about right now is being able to be alone, not having to be yeah. completely uh, monitored all the time. We don't have that freedom. And it feels we don't have privacy anymore. I can't be alone to dress myself because don't want trust that I'm going to do that to, you know, like all of these things are, are for those like having to deal with the fact that, yeah, Lebrecht talked about how he'd gone through surgery and having to wear diapers. And that was just so, a level of vulnerability that he wasn't ready for and coming to a camp. And, you know, you know, the stigma of that, but this was a different camp where people, everybody was like, yeah, we've, we, we understand this. We know the mm-hmm. struggle. And then be given access care as well as still being treated as a full-fledged human instead of being infantilized because of their disabilities. So it was a really big eye-opener to that. Of course, as we talked about earlier, the crab incident, uh, sexuality, and how it was a joke. And I laughed. It was pretty funny in that they're like, oh, we got crabs. Here we go. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and being quarantined from each other because they were sexually active. This was a chance for them to finally explore with one another and, and to have these relationships, to be able to make out in the corner. Like the the stories, it made me smile because I'm like, yeah, this is what happens at, well, not church camp, but regular <laughs> camp, I think. <laughs> Maybe church mm. camp too. I just wasn't that cool kid. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the most... One of the threads that stuck out the most to me was this exploration of sexuality. Because as we have talked about, and we discussed in the ADA episode, like that's a big discussion in the disability community and disability rights community is, you know, there are all of these things that we need to talk about. Um, And one of them is desexualization and infantilizing of people who have disabilities uh, and Denise Jacobson, she was very open about that. And she, as you as you mentioned, like she went to the hospital, she had stomach pains and they're like, oh, it must be appendicitis. And they took out a perfectly healthy appendix <laughs> before they bothered to ask her like, oh, are you sexually active? Oh, you have gonorrhea. And this was the thing that was like, she was like, nope, okay, I'm going to go and study sexuality <laughs> and yeah. specifically disability and sexuality. And I think that's so important. And I loved seeing her embrace it, even if I was so furious right. that that had to be a thing for her at all. Um, but it was, again, like, yeah, there was something so nice about just hearing them 
discuss like, oh, this is our one week anniversary. It was like, you know, right. camp. Again, I never went to camp, but I've also assumed that's what happened. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> but they were able to explore that and figure that out. They were playing music. They were just being themselves. But yeah, on top of that, you do see this amazing friendship, which they even talked about during the 504 uh Sit-ins, how it was Camp Oliver again, them coming together, uh, mm-hmm. singing together, talking it through, talking about their uh, methods, talking about their grievances. Um, but these le- friendships, though they didn't always last, some of them really did. Nancy uh, was one of the ones that was right next to Judith Human the whole time, making sure things were getting done. Um, Lebrecht talked about he was excited to come to Berkeley because that's where they were to help with these uh, different protests and, and then the growing need to be activists. Um, so it was really good to see. But you, yeah, there's this level of camaraderie that that happens, especially when you are vulnerable and open and then connect on that level. But to move it into activism is a whole different conversation into seeing what they did and what they accomplished um, and coming in to understand what these types of movements can do, but really just growing on trusting each other that was a whole different level too. Um, and of course, we're going to talk a little more about it in a minute, but like inclusion, making sure that everyone again had a voice, making sure that there was an interpreter for those who were deaf before a meeting actually started, making sure that people are being taken care of at all times, being asked what they thought. Uh, I, I thought it was phenomenal how it, Judith, under her leadership, uh, humans' leadership really did take on a whole life in itself, and you could tell that she cared. Like when she would choke up in, in announcements, uh, yeah. her friends would be behind her. We're here for you. We got you. Encouraging her instead of sitting in awkward silence, which <laughs> I feel like happens a lot when someone <laughs> right. shows emotions. You're like, "What do I do?" But mm-hmm. they know they knew her and uplifted her, and it was a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. And I the the documentary starts with a quote somewhere along the lines of like, this is the story no one's heard and they should have heard it. And I totally agree because when I, for that episode, like I'd researched it, but watching this, I was like, look at what they accomplished by supporting each other, holding each other up, talking, um, and just being so, making that effort to take care of each other in what was really a horrible situation. Like they stayed in that building for like 20 plus days. Yeah. And they had to like come up with like bedding situations and washing situations and food situations, like all of this stuff. And they did it. Like they yeah. worked with other people. They made it happen. They checked in with everybody. They were looking into what people needed. Um, one of my favorite parts that's also kind of sad is that they were able to get around like the FBI tapping their phones by using yes. sign language. Yeah, Like they... They just really came together. They coalesced. And as we talked about in that ADA episode, it was one of the first times where people with, you know, disparate disabilities all came together and were like, oh, we're all part of this community and this movement and we can work together and we see you and this is inclusive. And it was very, it was very, very powerful. And I liked there was that thread of, um, yeah, the people from Camp Jeanette finding each other and others who hadn't gone to that camp being like, once you were friends with one of them, you were friends with all of them. <laughs> right, right. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in fact, 
as you're talking about it, the FBI listening in, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, coverage at one point in time. And But that mm-hmm. one reporter stuck through. He made sure that this was there. He, he was like, this is important. And then when the strike happened, his story went global uh, and finally got it out. But the fact that it was still invisible with yeah. them doing so much, which was part of the breakdown that you see uh, for human and some of the leadership, just really finding it disheartening because people were ignoring it altogether because, once again, disabilities uh, made people in an ableist way uncomfortable. Uh, Just as a reminder, just existing made people uncomfortable, so they would rather ignore it. And then you have big things like the Geraldo Rivera uh, segment on the Willowbrook Institutes, which dramatized it, which it happened. I know that it happened, but it took it to such a level that it also was like, well, if it's not as climactic as this, is it getting this attention? Um, But it was interesting to see how how they built that up and how um, things turned around come back out and, you know, combating this way or that way um, and trying to get things accomplished. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the history of this movement. That's the history of many movements that you see it going backwards and forwards and um, being a distraction to being uh, ignored, which happens a lot, but they would not let that uh, stop them. And I love mm-hmm. that too. Um, of course, within the movement as well, there was a huge growth in it, as we talked about, with it being escalated finally. With the reports, they couldn't really ignore it anymore. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. It really was amazing (laughs) what they were able to accomplish and what they were determined to to accomplish. Like, despite the adversity, there were so many things I was watching. I was like, wow. At one point, they had um, Judith Heumann and some of the other leaders went to D.C. and they were transported in the back of 
U-Haul trucks, like dark moving trucks to get to the houses of leaders who they wanted to talk to. And and just all of these things to, to be heard and to be seen. And that did lead to this determination and that reporter and all of these other factors came together to lead to a growth in the movement and to lead to more people being aware of it. Um, and, and things like the cripple crawl that just really <laughs> captured the nation's attention of like, right. okay, we cannot ignore this right, right now. Well, that's exactly, the the growth was so big that, yeah, they had to, they're like, they're not listening to us here. We've been here. San Diego's listening to us, but that's not enough. Okay, we're going to go to D.C. Y'all stay here. We're going here. And that still wasn't enough. So they were starting to like go to homes. They're like, we're going to make you listen. The secretary at that point in time had to go around the back and sneak away from them because he couldn't confront them to the fact that he signed off in private. (laughs) <laughs> and mm-hmm. it just happened and because he didn't want to acknowledge uh, the fact and he tried to take some credit for it. We're not going to give it to him. <laughs> but mm-hmm. also the fact that it did capture the attentions of the Senate, of at least a few Senate who not only uh, held hearings, but they also sent like betting and such at one point in time. The mayor came in support and talked to them as well. But it did get that type of traction and had to grow to that point, uh, to the point that uh, one of the Senates who when they were having this hearing, the representative of the secretary who had no idea what was happening got chased down when he tried to ignore questions to come back and be like, you better come and answer these questions. Like, it was such a powerful move to see activists like that to push uh, to get those answers that they were determined to go. And of course, again, we talked about the inclusion, but the intersectionality of it all, the fact that we have organizations with the civil rights movements when it comes to the Black civil rights movement, Black Panthers coming in, um, making sure that they are not going to be pushed out of the protests, coming in and understanding if no one else will when it comes to the rights, that if one person, one group of people, one community is left behind, everything can crumble. Yeah. Yeah, that was another piece of this that was so uh, good to see, great to see, because, you know, we're big proponents of intersectional feminism here. And this is one instance of it where we're seeing, like, different groups of marginalized people fighting for rights, fighting for equality and equity, coming together, recognizing, like, if, if you don't have it, then it's not right. Like, right. <laughs> then, right. then I don't have it either. So that was really great to see, like to see that support that was kind of, you know, asked for, but offered pretty openly. Like, yeah, all right, we'll help you without the expectation of you have to give something back. The hope, you know, that we'll support each other. But it was, it was just nice to see. <laughs> right. And, and, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the person that turned to the Black Panthers was a Black woman, disabled woman. Um, mm-hmm. She was like, I got this. We know where to go to. I know who will have our backs. And they said yes without hesitating. And they were the epitome of the intersectionality. This is where I am. I am a Black woman with disabilities. I have hardly no ability to speak for myself. We have to push, and I'm going to do it this way. And she used her voice to bring uh, two movements together. Of course, we don't see the full impact of uh, both movements in this specific documentary. Um, But you see that this is an elevation and a big conversation of what true intersectionality and allyship can look like. Um, And I think it's really important to remember how this has to get pushed forward. Of course, again, 
as we are going through our own moments and trying to push for activism and advocacy for ourselves, it took years. It took decades to get to here, and it's still not enough. And and we, we want to talk about that because that's exactly kind of where we sit, kind of how we've seen everything unfold and unravel. And yeah, at one point in time, we see Reagan uh, talking about how this is costing too much and we need to backtrack and oh my God, you know, this is not doing what you think it is. It's not cost efficient. And, and yeah, them really dismissing humans and individuals because they don't want to pay out to give them the same freedom and rights as those enabled bodies. And again, when I say able bodies, we know that that's not permanent. Um, and people kind of forget that. As one reporter talks about, she was able-bodied and then she was hit uh, in a car accident and lost that. And, and f- realizing for the first time, oh my God, I never understood and here I am. And to really thrive in that instead of becoming uh, discouraged by it necessarily, except for the fact that, that disabled communities are set up to fail because they're not given equal or equity in in this playing field. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I thought her story, I'm glad it was included because she was a good, like, before and after of, oh, I didn't do any of the work and now I see. <laughs> Just to see that. And and yeah, I, I that's one of the things that um, we did discuss in the ADA episode, but it's also something that we've thought about a lot, I've thought about a lot, but it, living in a capitalist society where how destructive that is to be told by like the president of the United States, you cost too much to have your, <laughs> to have your rights, your human rights. That's too expensive. Please right. go away. Like that's abhorrent and disgusting and very harmful. Um, right. And it is, it is still a fight, like not at all to diminish the monumental things that they accomplished, um, which I think they would, you know, they've been outspoken. Like, yes, we did the ADA, but we need so much more. Like, right. there is still so many instances where it's sort of assumed, like, unless you complain, then just go away. Like, don't, <laughs> don't make me use money in my business uh, to make it more accessible. Yeah, there's so many conversations we need to have about how the capitalist ideals really, really have set up many people to fail, most people to fail. Um, but we won't necessarily go into that <laughs> for this uh, topic. But yeah, I think it's interesting to see the fact that human was able to work in administration with the president of the t- at the time and to build that up and then that position that she, she held is gone now. Um, that's how little... It's accounted for today, even though they have made so much stride and then have already shown how much of a positive impact it can have on a society as a whole when people with disabilities are included and actually put on the uh, same level as anybody else to be able to be a part of this decision-making, this policy-making, business decision-making, how profitable, if we want to talk about it, or just impactful it has on an an environment as a whole. And I think that's part of the problem is the solutions that are found are given a a timetable instead Mm. of being restructured to actually 
change permanently. And that's a problem for so many things. And that's why we have to keep going backwards and forwards and sideways and everywhere, everywhere instead of continuing upward as you would have hoped. But yeah, I think it's important to see that. But it's also, I don't know about you, seeing that them come back together and having the conversation and being able to have the conversation about why they fight who they're yeah. fighting for, how it's impacted them, how it's impacted their community, how it can continue to impact, and how they can show, you know, I think we forget this so often, that there have been radicals and there have been revolutionaries from jump. Uh, and unfortunately, we still have to look at what they did to be as a reminder of how to push forward. That like we have to see, see these historical contexts for the before and after and push the fight. Yeah, that was one of the most one of the most moving parts is in my opinion at the end when they they come together, they reunite at the camp which is being bulldozed and turned yes. into something else. Um and they just have really heartfelt moments with each other but they ask each other like did you ever think you were going to go to Berkeley and do this and did you ever think you can go and do this? And they were all like no. Um so I think as much work as we do continue to need to do they did accomplish so much like along with the other people in the movement other movements that helped um it really did and i was thinking about this other day about um i was watching some white house video and they had a asl interpreter in it and i was like Mm -hmm. wow when they were when they were growing up that wasn't a thing like that right just wasn't thought of wasn't cared about and it's still a fight, absolutely, but it it was it was very eye-opening to me to see kind of the like before and after. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's one of the big things. I love that. I love seeing ASL for concert goers when they yes, do yes. Uh, shows. It's one of my favorite Beyonce, things. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. But also just as a reminder, um, when it becomes for those who are able-bodied, uh, you know, there's many of us with uh invisible disabilities, and we can't ignore that. And they talk about this a lot, too, uh, within that documentary because they understand that better than anyone as well. Uh, We know that there's complex disabilities where there are more than one disabilities in a person, as well as the fact that they talked about trying to sustain, like, we got to see, and we didn't talk much about it, them what an, an independent living situation could have been for them and how they, as the disabled were able to know their needs. And I think mm-hmm. that's something we forget too often and we have to remind ourselves as if we were going to be called allies. Again, this is one of those terms I don't think we can give to ourselves. It has to be given by the community who is saying that you are an ally to us. But to be there is to remember that they are in the lead and that we need to follow their lead, mm-hmm. period. So when they say there's problems with the ADA, we need to look up why and and see the research that they're talking about and, and take that on as to, yeah, this is problem that they shouldn't be getting crumbs they should be getting everything um as well as when we see and i've seen this uh we haven't talked about this in tiktok there's a debate about asl and subtitles and the intersectionality of it we need to have that we we need to follow those in that place in that community and not take on the battle as if it's ours and we know better because we don't um there's a conversation about if you truly want to learn asl that's great maybe look to uh the actual deaf community who are willing to teach um and there are those out there who are teaching because they know it best and i think it's something that we have to remember as well because we don't want to be misled 
into being taught something inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but there was that huge debate about that and also how we are taking away work for those in the communities who can teach much better. Uh, so, so many things in this that we have to be reminded of because this is eye-opening and it shouldn't be about uh, pity or it shouldn't be about like watching to be a savior for anyone, Just but to truly understand and learn and that if we do want to be advocates to once again remember there are already those out there in front and those are the ones that we need to look at because they've lived that life. Yes, they've been doing the work. Yeah, so highly recommend this movie if you haven't watched it. It is on Netflix. Um, yes. Yes, and we suggest that you do. Uh, and in the meantime, if you have a suggestion for our next feminist movie, Wednesday, Friday, or what what have you, um, <laughs> please let us know. You can email us at stephaniedmomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.